you were around here is treated like a god. I mean, how can you ever find out what he could really do? I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Uh, if you're listening to this program, you're probably listening to it on KeepingTheNostalgiaAlive.com. Uh, and if you are, just go a couple inches down below where you're listening, and you'll see a uh, picture of DroppingDimes.org. Dropping uh, and uh, go ahead and click on that, and it'll take you to that website, DroppingDimes.org. And it'll tell, you, it'll tell you everything that it's all about in helping uh, former ABA players uh, in uh, anything that they need today. But we're also going to chat about that later on in the program with uh, Scott Tarter, who is the uh, president and founder of Dropping Dimes. Uh, but uh, before we get to that, also too, just in case if you're listening on keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com, please do the same and go to droppingdimes.org and uh, read what it's all about and, and please donate. Um, today is my 100th episode of doing uh, uh, Indiana Basketball Memories, the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. And what no better way than for the 100th episode to have just a, a, a basketball icon, a basketball legend, um, George McGinnis. George, thank you so much for spending some time with us and to help keep the nostalgia alive and share your story of basketball uh, with our audience. Well, Billy, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, George, tell us a little bit about where were you born and raised in Indianapolis? Tell us a little bit about your family and who introduced you to the game of basketball, or was it football that you were first introduced to? Well, you know, actually, most people don't realize that I actually was not born in Indiana. I was born into a little town uh, just east of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, called Silicaga, Alabama. And I think I was about one and a half when I moved to to Indianapolis with uh, with my mom and dad and uh we uh, grew up uh, over in the area where IUPUI is so I learned to play basketball in in military park which I think most people in this town are very familiar with um uh but you know I was uh, I think the reason I played football was I was bigger than most kids, and, and, and my my football coach in high school saw that I was big. He said, well, maybe I can get something out of him, and I happened to be pretty good at it. But uh, before the my freshman year at Washington, I had never played football. We'd just throw a football around a little bit, but we mostly played um, basketball in the parks in the summertime. So uh, that's how it kind of started and you know there was little basketball goals all around our community and neighborhood and that's what we spent most of our time doing george did you come up through the ips system uh like the, did, did you attend school 75 or do, what number of schools did you attend to before you got to george washington high school i i did and uh, i went to school number five where which was located right where right around where the mcaa building is today and uh, great school, Oscar McCullough, uh, number five, and uh, had some great alumni. My first uh, coach was a guy by the name of uh, of uh, Clifford Robinson, 
and uh, we won the IPS championship in, in our seventh and eighth grade year. And so that kind of really got my juices flowing. I, I just become uh, really fascinated and, and enchanted with the game. And, 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 not, and not only that, but I was growing taller, it seemed, by the day. George, any brothers or sisters in the family? Yeah, I have one sister, uh, big family. My dad was 6'6", six, six, my mom was about 5'9". My sister was a 6-foot tall girl. She loved basketball, but you know, girls couldn't play back in the early 60s and 50s. And uh, um, so that was it. No, no brothers, but uh, just one sister. You know, back then there was no AAU, so uh, was there, you know, besides the park that you told us about just a few seconds ago, uh, was it just a pickup ball at people's houses or, uh, you know, yeah. how, and, and who, before going to Washington High School, did you, did the coaching, did you know that, notice the coaching staff, did the coaching staff notice you before you even got to the high school well, level? Well, I, I do, I, yeah, by the time I got to around the 8th grade, 7th, 8th grade, uh, there's a couple coaches who had noticed me. One was Jerry Oliver, uh, from Washington. And one was the other one was Ray Crow. I think the folks at Addis had seen me play. And, um, we had a really, really good service and they a great team at school number five. And here's what's really ironic about the whole situation is that I lived on one side of New York street, uh, over there off where IUPUI is. And we moved, and at that particular time, growing up, I was in the Attic School District. My sister went to Attic. We happened to move between my 7th and 8th grade year uh, across the street, which put me in the Washington District. And that's how I ended up in Washington. So, so one street uh, separates uh, possibly uh, addicts having another banner hanging up uh, in their gymnasium. Well, I don't know about a banner, but I certainly would have been a uh, uh, an alumni of, of addicts, which wouldn't have been bad at all, uh, because uh, that was the school I had followed um, most of my life when I was young. And then when I got around twelve or thirteen, some of the kids who I'd grown up with, who were a little bit older than me ended up going to uh to Washington and uh, especially in my in my eighth grade year in sixty five, uh I knew um Ralph Taylor very well. He grew up in our in our community and he was on that team and he played center with the with the Billy Keller and that group and uh, they overachieved and won that sixty five state championship. So that was very relatable for us and uh, we were very proud of that. So once you got to Washington High School, you know they are had already had the tradition of, of winning a state championship. But were right. you were you um, were you excited about it? Did you did you get right into the mix with football when you got there as a freshman? Yeah, yeah, my freshman year I I played and um, uh, had immediate success. So I, I think I played two or three games on the freshman team, and then I immediately got moved up to the varsity and uh, played a part-time role in that team, and that that team were, was a uh, state championship, mythical state championship team in 1966 uh, with Larry Highball and that group. Uh, was the legendary, uh, was it uh, Bob Springer, was he your football coach? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was uh, one of the uh, most incredible people I had met. I think um, 
uh, of all the coaches that I had been around uh, throughout my life, and I really had some great people that uh, taught me not only a lot about the sports, but taught me a lot about life. He was uh, he he was absolutely the best, and um, stayed in touch with him throughout my entire life. And just a few years ago, he unfortunately died, but. Um, Always uh, was able to spend a lot of time with him. I played in his golf tournament every year. Uh, spent a lot of personal time with him. Had just so much respect for him. He was a terrific, uh, terrific human being. George, you know, today a lot of kids, a lot of people frown upon kids playing more than one sport. Was that a situation back when you were in high school, or did either one of the football or basketball coaches really mind that you played both sports? Oh, no, it was encouraged. I, I think uh, the basketball coach, the football coach, and the track coach, they, they were all on the same team. We had kids who, who did all three and uh, did, did all three very well. Uh, no, there was there was no specialization at that time, you know, and um, it, it was encouraged that, you know, you, you had a well-rounded athletic uh, kind of life. Uh, you, you know, you kept busy, you, you worked uh doing uh doing uh during the during the day and going to school and you know getting your grades and then you were able to have some some good outlets in in, in the evenings with all the different activities with sports so uh it was it was very common to see guys at least play two sports not not a lot play three but a lot play two how enjoyable was that first couple of years at washington uh when you played basketball Oh, very, very much so. I mean, they had just come off a state championship. Jerry, Jerry Oliver was the head coach, and he was really, really good and uh, really strong on fundamentals. And, you know, you, I learned a lot about uh, being able to – I was kind of just a one-handed player at that point. Just everything was right. I dribbled with my right hand. I went to my right, and, and I did everything right. And, uh, you know, he, he had all these different drills that I had never uh, seen before that really helped me improve, you know. So from the time I went from my freshman to sophomore year, there was a huge improvement in my game just because of the great coaching I got from, from Jerry Oliver. And, and during that time, what were some? Did you have a favorite place that you played with inside Indianapolis? And did you guys travel outside of Indianapolis a lot once the uh, yeah. attention got to Yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a there was a place uh, uh, in Speedway called Meadowood, and um, there was a lot of guys who came from the different schools in the summertime: uh, Attucks, Short Ridge, Speedway, Washington. Uh, some some brotherful guys, uh, tech. It was uh, it was a really really a lot of fun. But and then I played a lot in in, in old Locksville where Oscar Robinson played. Um, there was always uh, you can always find a good game over there. Guys who play, presently were playing with with uh, with addicts, and then some some of the former players would always you know play pickup ball over there. So there was always a a, a good run over there. George, can you tell us when did Bill Green come into the picture, and what did that mean to you and to the basketball program? Well, um, our, our sophomore year, Bill Green came in as our assistant coach. He had been a coach at Sacred Heart, and um, 
he he wants to kind of I I think move uh, vertically up the ladder, and uh, he 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 left a head coaching job to come over to Washington, and um, he was with Jerry Oliver's assistant. Um, and then um, our junior year, we we really had a team that should have won the state championship that our junior year, but we were upset by a, a really good Shortridge team. Uh, had a guy named Oscar Evans and a few other guys who were really, really good, and they upset us in the regional. Um, and after, after that, um, I think me and Steve Downing, who was on my team, uh, pretty much – had an inkling that we wanted to go to IU together. You know, wherever we were going to go to school, we were going to do it together. So at that point, Jerry had an offer from IU, which was kind of ironic uh, to be an assistant coach there. And um, so my senior year, we had Bill Green, who became the head coach of, of our team. And it was an absolute perfect fit. He put in some new wrinkles. He had um, he was known for a matchup zone that uh, that he ran, and uh, and we we put that in along with a full court press and tried to play and push teams to play an up tempo game because the games that we had lost as juniors were always games where the team really slowed down the pace and held the ball on us and shortened the game. Um, so he. Um, he put in some things and make uh, make us, you know, push the other team to speed up the game, which was really helpful, and, and uh, we went undefeated. George, tell us a little bit about your relationship with uh, Steve Downing. Is is it a relationship that you still got, you guys still have to this day? Oh, I just I just got off the phone with him. <laughs> we 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 seem to talk daily. It's uh, it's been like this for fifty years. Um. I think one of the one of the incredible things about Steve Downing is that when he was a he was a freshman, he you know, he came out for, for basketball and I looked at this kid and you know, he was only five foot ten and you know, he was kinda clumsy and I'm thinking this kid's never gonna make it. I, said, I don't even know what he's doing here. And uh, you know, he, he he's kinda just just falling all over himself, uh, you know. I don't know if he was in a growing stage or what, but he just couldn't do anything. But you know, he came back a sophomore year. He got bigger and better. And just to make a long story short, he was five ten as a freshman, and as a senior, he was six foot nine. Wow! And uh, he almost grew a foot in high school. And uh, he was just a defensive. Uh, genius he was tough and worked hard um really a great person a great human being um he cares a lot about people he loved kids uh you know he went on and had a stellar career down at IU and got drafted in the first round by the Boston Celtics and then um his career has been in in uh, college athletics he was down an associate uh, athletic director down at IU for I don't know almost 30 years with Bob Knight and he left there and went on to Texas Tech with coach Knight and now he's over at Marion University doing a terrific job over there though that's a that's a school that's on the move uh, they've won two out of three NAI football championships um, just tied to 
new basketball coach. They won a national championship with their girls team last year. Uh, they got a medical school over there. I mean, it's uh, you go over there, and it's so exciting to see uh, the the things that's going on, not only uh, in the athletic department, but just the entire school with the the new buildings and the attendance is spiking every year. So Steve is just, um, he is one heck of a guy. And, uh, you know, if, if everyone could have a friend like him, you'd be okay. George, do you remember, what was the first letter? I know recruiting was a lot different back then, but what was the first letter or, or the first person that came to you and said, look, I want you to play either football or basketball for our college. Do you remember? I I I think it um, it was someone in the in the Western Athletic Conference, and then it was a school in Louisiana. I was a freshman. I was a freshman. I got my first letter, and uh, my mom still has every one of those letters that I got for college. I, you know, I don't know. Two years ago, I was looking at this big old, and I had over four hundred letters from different colleges for scholarships. So that was uh, that was pretty good, and, and uh, at least a little over two hundred of them were for football. Uh, so I was uh, I was a first team all high school all American in football for three consecutive years, and I, that was I was the first kid I think on Parade Magazine who had done who had accomplished that. So. I got just as many, uh, just a little bit more offers to play football in college as I did for basketball, which and, is pretty neat. And was that a difficult decision to pick basketball? Yeah, I, I, I think I always wanted to. to I, I love, I loved football. I still love football, but uh, practically, I, I wanted to. I, I enjoyed basketball a little bit more, and. Um, you know, I, I just uh, playing with ten guys or five guys at a time. You have more of a, you know, having more of an impact on the game as opposed to playing a football. And you know, I just thought about how um, how physically demanding it was. And I know that uh, I had a couple of buddies that had severe injuries in college that kind of had ended their career and things like that. So. I wanted to, at first, I wanted to go to a school where I could play both and uh, really considered that up until about the middle part of my senior year when we had pretty much decided we were going to both, me and Steve, were going to go to IU. And because their football program just was not good enough, they had a terrific year in 66 with the group that went to the Rose Bowl. Uh, but for, for, for the most part, they just, they just uh, did not were not very good, but I, I talked quite a bit to John Pont, who's a football coach. He he always tried to get me just to come out and and try it, but I never did. I, and I thought I'm glad I made the decision that I made. Actually, George, did when you were growing up in Indianapolis, did you have a uh, was there was there a favorite basketball player that you followed either in college, high school, or in the pros, or was was there a professional team that you uh, followed when you were a little kid? Well, yeah, we we loved Oscar Robinson. You know, he was uh, he was a guy who pretty much came from close to the area where we grew up, and um, I played in the same areas that he played in. So, you know, it was pretty neat to uh, be able to occasionally see an NBA game and see him on TV, 
and uh, know that he was right from this area, the Lockville Garden area there on the west side, and then he would come back sometimes for the summer, and, you know, you'd run into him, and you just, you know, you didn't know, you, you know, we, I was too afraid to approach him at those, back in those days, but uh, he he was one, and Ralph Taylor uh, was another one who uh, went on to Washington and played at Purdue, uh, and that, uh, that their senior year with Rick Mount and Billy Keller and that group went to the NCAA final game against UCLA. Unfortunately, they lost, but that was uh, that was something to uh, be proud of because Billy Keller was a West Side kid who grew up off 16th Street and uh, achieved uh, achieved a lot. And, uh, and 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 there's another guy he won't find a better person than 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 Billy Keller who I have communication with quite a bit to this day. So, um, yeah, I would say, uh, and then there was one other guy named Marv Winkler who played for Washington, and he went to college in Louisiana and um, played uh, played pro ball. He was on the Milwaukee Bucks NBA championship team with Oscar, <clears throat> believe it or not, which is kind of ironic, but um, we would always kind of, question him about how was it playing with the big O and and then being on the NBA championship team. So that was always kind of neat. But there was always guys who were connected to our community were, were the guys that we looked up to and watched. George, tell us a little bit. You know, the, the face of Indiana high school basketball has changed a little bit just because uh, mm-hmm. they've gone to class basketball. But give everybody an idea of, of what was the atmosphere like at a, at a Washington high school basketball game during your guys's you know pinnacle. Well, it was it was always sold out. I mean, most gyms were uh, for for almost all teams in in, in central Indiana area. Were just sellouts. I mean, basketball was uh, was it was a big deal. You didn't have all the outlets that kids have today. You know, kids just have more things that they can do today uh, with their time. I mean, you know, it was uh, it was uh, it was one of the few things that that we could do that was uh, fun uh, for us, but. Um, you know, kids have so many options, but uh, we 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 just loved it, and I think most kids during that era loved it, and 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 the fans, and, and you know the parents, the teachers, the fans, they all loved it, and that's what made it great because uh, it had a ton of particip- participation. I've been to a few high school games over the last five or six years, and some of the gyms are darn near empty. It's 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 amazing. George, going into your guys' senior year, did did you know that you had something special? I mean, did you know that? I mean, was that that the goal to to do what you guys did and go undefeated and win that state championship? Was there any hesitation or any doubt during that whole season? No, no. I mean, we had then. You know, it was, our goals were set uh, that that Saturday night after Shortridge beat us in that regional at Hinkle Hinkle Fieldhouse and upset us in a game where they kind of slowed the, the game down and uh, they they played a really, really good, smart game against us and we didn't play very smart. And we end up losing. Um, so Bill Green uh, became our new coach and uh, the first thing he said, and for years he used this as uh, why we won the state, but he came in and he says, I'm going to tell you guys something. You should have been a state champion last year, but you're going to be a state championship this year. 
He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to go. We're going to play Friday and Saturday night. And if we win Friday and we win Saturday every weekend, he says, I'm going to take you guys Saturday night to, to, to White Castle, and I'll let you <laughs> eat at least 10 or 12 White Castles apiece, which was a real treat for us, you know. So, you know, he says after he told us that, we won 31 games in a row. <laughs> and, uh, we, for you know, I don't know, 15 weekends or so, we went to White Castle. And uh, it was it was pretty neat. Man, I haven't had a White Castle in about four years since I've back, been back to uh, Indianapolis. Man, I love those things. Oh, my God. We, uh, you know, we, we, we craved them when we were in high school, and uh, we just couldn't afford very many of them, even though they were pretty cheap. Uh, but when we got that offer, it was a great incentive. And Bill Green used that line for years and years. Oh, we won the 1969 state championship. He says you can't, you can't, you can't induce kids with that now. You got to come with something a little bit better. Um, during those, uh, during that undefeated uh, state championship season, was there was there a couple times where it, it may have had a blemish on it, and you guys had to uh, uh, pull together, or was there was there you know was there luck involved also occasionally? No, the only game that was close was uh, the Marion game in the uh, afternoon of the state finals. Um, and they were really, really a good team. They had uh, their front line was 6'9", 6'10", 6'8", and they had a and they had a six foot eight guard. And uh, and uh, Javon Price was his name. And uh, they were really a, a well-coached team, very disciplined. And they had us down. They had us down going into the fourth quarter and, and into the fourth quarter. And then we, uh, Bill Green called and put, we put on a press and we came back and we won that game. But that was the only tight game we had. I think uh, out of the 31 games we played, we had an average winning margin of around 27 or 28 points. Uh, for all those 31 games, which was which was unbelievable. George, tell us uh, what was your favorite thing about Hinkle, and 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 did Hinkle give you an advantage? Did you feel? Did you feel the floor gave you another couple inches? Oh man, you felt like you were you were playing on cotton. It just uh, the floor was so soft, and when you ran on it, you know it just it was almost like a. Um, what do you call it? like a trampoline almost like a like a just a just a really soft and it was just wonderful to play and just the history of being able to play in there we were even able to play a couple of regular season games in there and our city championship was there it was uh, it was so much fun uh, to play there and then you get that place full of you know thirteen fourteen thousand people and uh, it was uh, it was just always fun and we we always packed the place when we played so yeah that was that was one of the best courts uh, i've ever played uh, basketball on for sure you know i think it took my six inch vertical to eight inches <laughs> i hope to tell you you know and that's what you felt when you jumped on that floor you go wow because you know you, you didn't come down and feel like you know this just you, you get your jam you know you just hit this hard surface but there was something soft about it. And then when you jumped, nothing hurt. And 
you could just you seem like you could just spring up and and get up higher, and uh, that that was always uh, always fun to play there always. You know what's the number? Like I think it was either 145 or 148 points in those last four ball games of your senior year. Yes, uh huh. I think yeah. something like that. Yeah, I think I think it was the most points for the four games up until that time. I'm sure that that record has been broken now, but. Um, yeah, you know one of the one of the things that I did was I broke a few of Oscar's records when I was, which I was really, you know, at the time I didn't know he had me, he he had even held, and uh, so I was really proud about that because he was such a hero of mine. You know, a, a couple of weeks after the state championship, you're going to be named uh, the Indiana Mr. Basketball, and you guys had so much success. Uh, you're going to go to Indiana University, George. As a 17, 18 year old kid. How and who helped you, or how did you keep a level head and a focus? Well, it wasn't easy um, because just um, uh, about a month or so after I graduated from high school, my dad, who was a terrific guy, he he worked two jobs, really hard worker, and uh, uh, was was tough on me. But but you know you knew you were loved, and uh, he was a great provider. Uh, he he worked construction during the day, and he was uh, worked on a, a construction job at Eli Lilly. I think it was in August of '69, uh, and it was right after the Indiana Kentucky High School All Star Series. And he unfortunately lost his life. He was on the scaffold, and back in those days, uh, safety. Uh, on construction sites was not as big an issue as it as it is today, and he did not have a harness or anything like that. And I think oh, what wow. happened was on, on his end of the scaffold gave way. It was two guys on the scaffold, and his end just fell, and he 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 died from the fall. Uh, but fortunately, the other guy was able to hang on. He slid down and somehow was able to hang on that thing for 10, 15 minutes until he got him off of there. And um, fortunate enough for him, he, he, he was able to live. But um, my dad lost his life, and, and um, you know, he was a strong provider. But, you know, that, that uh, set our family back for a loop at that time. You know, we didn't, we didn't have very much to begin with, and, uh, and we lost... Um, Lost uh, my father, which, uh, you know, 42 years old, and it was a really tough time. I, I almost, um, you know, I told some family, I said, well, should I just mix college and get a, get a job? Because back in those days, you could, you know, get out of high school and get a good job in a factory or something, making good money, and, and uh, you know, at least you can provide for your family. I thought I could help my mom, and she said, oh, no, no, you go to school. We never had anyone go to school. You go to school, and, and that's what, what what I did. But it was a it was a tough uh, summer of '69 during my first uh, first year at IU. George, what was it like, or do you remember where you were when you were told that you were voted uh, Indiana Mr. Basketball? Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, it was uh, one of our last days of school. And I was in class, and uh, Coach Green came in and she said, hey, can I get uh, George and talk to him for a minute? And they pulled me out. And he says, come here, i got something to show you. Take me down to the office. She says, guess what? I said, what's that? He said, you've been named Mr. Basketball. I said, oh, wow, I can't believe it. That's great. 
and uh, that's how I found out about her. And did you have to keep it secret for a little bit? Uh, for a day or so, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 everybody in Washington High School do it five minutes after he told me. <laughs> the whole student body. So, you know, he said, no, this can't get out. You can't tell anybody. And I told Steve. Steve told somebody else. And, I mean, by the time school was over, the entire school knew. It was incredible. <laughs> George, when, once you got, once you and Steve got to Indiana University, I know I know freshmen could not play ball, correct? Right, freshmen could not play. Right. And 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 so, what was that freshman year like? Was that were you chomping at the bit to play? Yeah, it was tough because uh, you know it was the first time throughout my whole career where you know you said okay. It's against it's against the rules to play, and not only that. And how about this one? We couldn't dunk the basketball. There was a no dunk rule because this guy named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who played at UCLA, was so big and so good. They thought that the game was changing with these big guys like him, and they had such an advantage. They wanted to. Um, uh, make it uh, a little bit more fair by taking the dunk out of the game. So the dunk was taken out of the game, and uh, then three guys and, and couldn't play as freshmen. So that was, that was tough just to sit there. Uh, we played pickup ball down at the down at the hyper gym all the time, but uh, that that was it. What kind of squad did you think you were coming into when you got to play your first real uh, uh, college uh, basketball year? Our freshman, our freshman group was really good, but the team they had down there was, uh, you know, was just kind of I think average. They were, you know, middle of the road team, uh, maybe a little bit better than five hundred. Um, but we had some really, you know, I think there was about four guys off of the Indiana High School All-Star team that uh, played with me that went on to IU. So we figured we were going to be pretty good. And they had the pretty good, some pretty good, pretty, a few pretty good players that were already playing there at the time. So we knew that, um, you know, we were going to be pretty good. But we figured, we figured by our junior senior year we could be really, really good. Well, you dominated uh, your, your sophomore year. You dominated the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah, I had I had I had a really really good year my sophomore year. Probably should have been the MVP, <laughs> and um, um, but um, but yeah, I had a real good year. You know, I think you know uh, a few minutes ago you answered the next question that I wanted to ask, and and you know we know why the reasons why we know now the reasons why you you wanted to turn pro and to help the family. But how how difficult of a decision was it to do that? Well, I, I tell you what made it a lot easier. Uh, I got recruited uh, by a coach who um, the guys who were the upperclassmen in, in, on the team when I played uh, did not like Lou Watson. And, um, you know, the football team had walked off on uh, John Pont down there, and uh, there was uh, some racial tension about it. Uh, then all of a sudden, uh, 
after my sophomore year, a group of the basketball players went to the president and said that, uh, you know, Lou was no good. He wasn't helping them. And, um, and uh, all the guys were thinking about transferring if, if they didn't get rid of him. Well, when they came and talked to me, I said, no, I, I had no intentions of, of, of transferring. No one's ever talked to me about uh, about not liking Lou. I said, I like Lou fine. And uh, Steve Downing felt the same way. And there were several other of us on that freshman group that felt the same way. Well, one thing led to another. And uh, before I knew it, they were replacing, they, they, you know, Lou had lost a job and they were out looking for a search committee. So at that point, I just thought, you know what? You know, I had an opportunity to um, to play with the Indiana Pacers. Um, and I also had an opportunity to help my family and help my mother. Uh, where it had been a couple of years now since she, she had lost her husband. And I, I just uh, felt like the, the time was right, so I left. And uh, I've regretted it a little bit, and um, and by the same token, I felt like that, you know it was it was the decision was not bad because everything turned out okay, everything ended up okay. What kind of a relationship, or do you have a relationship, or did did Coach Knight give you a hard time thinking that he would have another banner hanging up in there if you would have stayed? Oh, oh <laughs> man! Every every time I went to an IU game, that's because Steve was an associate athletic director and. And, you know, I, I never really had met him. Um, and then after, I think I went down one summer and I and I met him, and boy, he gave me the blues. And, you know, he would let me have it, but he was always kind to me. You know, he knew it was nothing personal. I didn't even know who Bob Knight was, and not, not anyone in Indiana knew who he was. He was just this young guy out of Army uh, who, was, who was one hell of a coach, but... Um, but he, he, he always uh, told me how much better player I would have been if I would have played for him. He's probably right. Um, but, you know, he pointed to the game against UCLA and when they played um, in St. Louis, I think it was uh, Sweet 16 maybe. And uh, I think this game would have put him in the Final Four, but Steve played a heck of a game against Walton. And in the picking up a fifth foul, which was very questionable down the down the stretch, but they had been down by, you know, double digits and in the second half. They closed the thing to two or three points and uh, made it a good game. So uh, he he me about that, but he was he was always kind to me, which I really appreciated. Tell us about that. Tell us about that whirlwind. Once you get to professional basketball, what was your first introduction to it, or or did, did you feel like you'd made the right decision? Well, um, you know, I had I knew about the Pacers because I we we snuck in the Coliseum for a few games here and there <laughs> back in the day. Me and Steve and uh, we were able to see the Pacers play, and you know, Roger Brown and. Neto Bob Nedelecki and Mel Daniels and that group, Billy Keller played with the Pacers, so there was a familiarity there that I that I that I that I had, and they were they were they were champions. They had won a ABA championship the year before, so it, it was not like I was going to, going into a situation where 
this team desperately needed help or rebuilding, I was going in as an add-on to an already really good team, and uh, which was a different. It was a little bit different than what I was used to. Uh, but right away, uh, I didn't know if the guys would accept me or not because, you know, here I am coming in fresh and with all this publicity and, and all of this history behind me. But it couldn't, it couldn't have been a better situation. And, uh, they were all terrific. Select the coach and people in the front office. It was, um, it was more like a family, more like, like being in high school again. Uh, as opposed to playing on a professional team because it was so family-oriented. We did everything together. Guys hung out together on the team all the time, get things together off the court when we were on the road. We were always doing things collectively. Uh, so it was really, really good, lots of fun. Uh, uh, Bob Nedelicki. Was he kind of like a, a, a modern-day version of Dennis Rodman, but only in the ABA? Well, yeah, he was, he was just kind of uh, – he was, he was funny. He was very smart. Uh, he owned a bar called Meadows, and it was in the, in, in the Meadows there off 38th Street, and it was one of the hottest places in town. And um, he, was, uh, he, he was something else he – he he made uh, coming to 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 play and practice every day a, a, a lot of fun because he was always doing something goofy you know he was he was he was funny and, you know we still talk and we're together all the time we we see each other uh, quite a bit and talk on the phone quite a bit so we're still pretty pretty close. George does do you feel like the NBA really has not respected? what the ABA kind of paved the NBA to do? Well, they, 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 they never did publicly, but, you know, I think um, deep down inside, they, they, they knew the ABA had value because, you know, they, they, they took everything from our all-star game, the three-point shot, the dunk contest, um, you know, uh, we uh, are – you know, we, we, you know, our, our, our style of play was up tempo and more fun as opposed to playing that slow down, beat you up, hold them, grab them the ball that they claimed the NBA at the time. So our game brought more excitement. And when the teams, when the leagues eventually merged, the first two years of the All Star game, there was as many ABA guys on the NBA All-Star team as there were old NBA guys. So, yeah, the, 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 the league brought a lot, some exciting players, and they were much better than the NBA had given them credit for. George, you're one of four people who have their numbers retired uh, with the Indiana, mm-hmm. Bas- the Indiana Pacers professional basketball organization. Uh, and, and looking back on your career, did, did did your career go by fast? Did you take it? Did you take it in? Are there are there things that are just kind of burnt in your mind that you'll go back to and think about through your illustrious career? Well, it goes it goes pretty quick. When you sit around, I'm 65 years old today. Uh, yeah, and you know, Slick Slick will always tell us, as his guys, take this in, remember this. 
because this this is not going to last forever. He says, I, I can tell you, I've, I've been there and I've done it. So he says, take this in and, and, and you know, put it in a special place and 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 remember it. So um, we had a lot, I had a lot of good moments, not some not so good moments, but yeah, the, it, it went by fairly quick. You know, 10, 11, 12 years is, is nothing. It's a flash. Uh, once I got out of basketball and started living a regular life, it, uh, it, it seems like it's, it goes by in a flash to me. But but is, is it still a regular life? I mean, you still you still probably yeah. I mean, uh, you're still kind of associated with the game, correct? Well, I am associated. I do some stuff with the Pacers, but uh, you know, I've been I've been I've had a business for 24 years now, and uh, so but I still do some stuff uh, with the Pacers in terms of making appearances. Now, earlier on, after I first got out of uh, source retired, I did uh, some broadcasting and I did promotional work for about four or five different companies. I, I even uh, got a call from Ted Marcher Broda one day from the Indianapolis Colts who asked me to come in and be a mentor for some of the Colts players. And, uh, that's when uh, Harbaugh was a quarterback, and, and uh, they did not have a great year, but they had a great playoff run with that team. And they got beat by the Steelers um, in that in that uh, AFC final game where Harbaugh threw a Hail Mary pass, and just about, we just about caught it. So the three years doing that was, was interesting and fun and seeing how uh, things operate uh, in, in the NFL and how those guys get prepared for a game. It's totally different. You know, one game in the NFL is, is like 40 games in the NBA. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's so important each game because you only play 16 games. And uh, when we lose a game in the, in the NBA or the ABA, you spit it out, and you say, okay, i got another game tomorrow. I don't worry about it. But, you know, a loss lingers for that entire week in the NFL, and the only way you can get it off of your back is making a redemption the next week with whoever you play. So got to learn a lot, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I've done a lot of good things. I've been very fortunate and blessed. Uh, so I've had a pretty darn good life. I've got a good family, a good wife, uh, been married for about 40 years to uh, a girl I fell in love with uh, at a very young age. I've been knowing her all my life. Uh, my mom's still alive. She still lives in the house. I I bought her with the bonus money I got from the Indiana Pacers uh, back in 1971. Um, so yeah, everything is everything is good. Everything is really good. Did George McGinnis trash talk? No, never. Uh-uh. I never. I never trash talk. Um, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of guys trash talk back in our days because you had to back it up. They let you fight back then. <laughs> the guy couldn't get away with you know trying to be a tough guy if he wasn't. And uh, hell, I think we had we had as many fights as we did fouls back in those days in the LAPA, and uh, it, it was. Uh, it was something else, and you know, and slick, uh, slick didn't mind a good fight every now and then. So, no, not too many guys talked uh, talked to me too much stuff back in those days. 
Uh, George, who was your uh, most difficult guarding assignment assignment when you played pro ball? Uh, in the ABA, it would probably be Julius Irving, and um, and we always had a tough time. Two teams, uh, Dan Issa with uh, with Kentucky, and then uh, you know um, with the Utah Stars, they they had a had a good group, Elmo Beatty and. And that group, they always had really, really good teams. So whoever they had out there, it was always a difficult matchup because they were well-coached, played together, played really well. And those, those seemed like uh, the – and then uh, Bobby Jones at the Denver Nuggets, and those were the teams that were almost consistently in the, in the playoffs that you would have to beat uh, to be able to win a championship. So there were several of them. George McGinnis, you know, I, I as a kid, I would take my transistor radio and I would turn it on and I would didn't have any headphones, but I would put it underneath the pillow muffled enough that I could hear it and I would not get in trouble with my mother and father for staying late <laughs> listening to your games. Uh, it yeah. is it is it it has been a pleasure to chat with you and for you to share. Can can you give us a little bit about? Um, I think it, you know we're going to start we're going to talk with Scott Tarter here in just a second about droppingdimes.org. Can you give us an, a little bit of, uh, of why you got into this and and what it's about? Well, you know, Scott. Let me just tell you a little bit about Scott Tarter. Scott is one of those guys who who like you was just a crazy ABA fan. And uh, he, he loved the Indiana Pacers as, as a young kid and uh, was uh, just, uh, he, he said he lived and breathed uh, the, the Pacers. And, uh, so we had an opportunity to meet Scott, I don't know, a few years ago. And uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, an idea of maybe putting together a foundation um, to, to help um, some of the former players as you know, the guys in the ABA uh, did not make very much money. Um, and even by the standards of, of what they were making in the NBA back in those days, it was uh, a minimum amount of, of, of money for most of the guys in, in, in the old ABA league. So unfortunately, like every sport, you have some guys who end up having a tough time after they play. Um and this is when I knew what type of guy Scott Carter was because he had a concern for for those players. And, um, you know, when you uh, – Slick had always told us, he says, you know, what makes you great is not how good you are. He says, but what you do and what you think of somebody else and what good you can do for somebody else. And that's – kind of the impression I got from Scott. He he really wanted to make a difference. He had a life where he was an attorney. He was very comfortable. But he took on this um, along with uh, two other guys, Ted Green and John Abrams, who uh, put this thing together and have uh, has really done a terrific job, has been able to help several players uh, to this point, had a lot of success. And... Um, getting uh, some really good uh, publicity and, and uh, the words getting out about what Scott is, is doing. And I know he's going to join us, and I'll let him tell you firsthand uh, just in some of the things that have happened. 
you know, Mel Daniels, who we don't have anymore, unfortunately, we lost him uh, not long ago, and boy, did we lose, uh, we lost uh, one of the great ones, not only as a player, but as a person, and this this was his passion, uh, this, this, uh, uh, this, this, uh, this, uh, this, 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 uh, thing here that Scott, uh, is doing with the foundation and, um, uh, the dropping down dimes foundation. And, uh, when Mel got a hold of this, you know, we knew that, uh, you know, we all had to be on board. So we jumped right on board with Scott and, um, and I uh, hope he's he can he's on the phone so he can kind of give you a, an overview of some of the things that he's been able to do. It's just terrific. George, thank you so much for joining us. It's appreciated. I yeah, really enjoyed thank you. it. Okay, you bet. Thanks. All right, Sorry. Scott Tarter, are you there? I am. Thank you. Hey, where where did your passion for this game start? Well, you know, first of all, just thank you for having me on the show, and thank you uh, to George McGinnis for such kind words. But but. Um, you know, he was right when he said that that uh, that I was that, uh, an ABA basketball fan for life, a Pacer uh, fan for life. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, it makes me feel so old, even though I'm only <laughs> 53 years old. I tell my kids that I used to listen with my family. I used to listen to the games when the Pacers were playing on the radio, and they'll kind of chide me about that and say, well, you're not that old. Well, <laughs> but at that time, the ABA did not have the television contracts. You know, the NBA did, so it was really rare that an ABA game was on TV. So if you were a really big fan, you either had to get to the game or, you know, uh, since the Pacers were usually sold out, you had to listen to it on a, on a transistor radio, and it became a family thing. And so I, I guess that's where, where my passion for the ABA started. Um, Scott, is it true did the ABA players don't, did not have uh, like a retirement fund or uh, anything like that? Is that correct? Well, they actually did, but it okay. was not what I would consider to be a viable plan or one that really had a realistic chance of continuing on beyond, you know, beyond um, uh, a very short period of time. And when the ABA folded and what is called a merger, you know, in 1976 with the NBA, what that really was was the NBA acquiring um, the, the Pacers, the San Antonio Spurs, the Denver Nuggets, and the uh, uh, the uh, Nets, the New Jersey Nets, are now the Brooklyn Nets, and 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 so they acquired those teams, teams like the Kentucky Colonels, which had just won the ABA championship in 1975 and had you know three future Hall of Famers on the team. That that the the Colonels just died, right? And so did the Virginia Squires, for example, and several other teams. So when that you know so-called merger occurred, a lot of guys were just out of out of work. You know, they just were out of work, and, and whatever semblance of of a retirement program was in place uh, just fell apart at that time. So when did this – was this a light bulb that popped up over your head on on uh, on trying to help this issue, or how did this come about? Well, it, it actually started a few years ago when when um, I was assisting a guy named Ted Green, who's now, on our, who's now a fellow board member with me. But he's a very talented film producer. And uh, he lives here in Indianapolis, and he has focused on ABA stories in the past. He just happens to have done the, the uh, Emmy Award-winning Undefeated, the Roger Brown story. He did the Emmy Award-winning Slick Leonard story, Heart of a Hoosier. And when I was working with him on on the Roger Brown film, 
um, I started meeting some of these heroes of mine from my childhood. And and what kept coming up as I was meeting George and Mel and and uh, Bobby, I, I, what kept coming up was this recurring theme of it's too bad that some of the ABA guys are really struggling. And so at one point I sort of said to uh, Bobby, I said, Hey, Bobby, Bobby Leonard, why are there? So, why would any of the ABA guys be struggling more than the NBA guys? And you know he uh, he filled me in on his opinion and and um, but he said it's true and then I went to Mel Daniels and Mel had just a fire and a passion about it I mean Mel or anybody who knew Mel Daniels you know he he just was a very very passionate and fiery guy and um, um, you know if he loved you you knew it and if he didn't like it you knew it and he had incredibly strong feelings about the fact that the ABA guys um, now getting on into their twilight years were were not being taken care of. And so that's when we started doing some research um, into the issue. I spent a lot of time looking at why that might be. And uh, and then, yeah, sure enough, it, you know, the more I looked at it, the more I realized they're just a forgotten group of guys, uh, forgotten both from a basketball history standpoint for the most part and certainly from the standpoint of, of, of people really caring about the contribution that they made to today's professional basketball. Scott, where can people go to donate and also read stories about where their donation goes? Uh, we have a great uh, website. It's, it's droppingdimes.org, and we'd love for people to go to, uh, to the website, and they can, you know, we've got a great, a great uh, kid. It's funny, I call him a kid now. He's probably 27, 28, but a guy named Taylor Luzak, who played basketball for Mississippi State not that long ago. He does all of our social media. He put together the website. He keeps current ABA stories going on the Twitter account, which is uh, which is um, dropping dimes at dropping dimes 67. And um, we have a Facebook page, so we would encourage people to go to any of those. Uh, we have an Instagram account. So anybody um, can go to any of those places and they can learn more about us. But the website is probably the best place to go. And, and if you're interested, after you've, if you've learned more about what we're about, if you're interested in making a donation, you can make a donation online um, through a secure portal. We are a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, and so donations are tax-deductible. Scott, uh, did you, were you born and raised in Indiana? Yes, I was. Where'd you attend high school? I went to John Marshall High School. Oh, you're a patriot. I'm, I was a patriot, another IPS guy. Yes, when did you come out of uh, uh, John Marshall? 1980. 1980, I guess. Uh, I had a uh, baseball coach who uh, coached over there for a little while, and actually went to high school over there, John Tremaine. But, yeah, um, yeah. and then also Roger Schroeder was over there coaching, correct? Absolutely, one of the, one of the, one of the, one of the miracle men of Milan, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, Scott, thank you guys. Thanks both of you guys so much. I hope, you know, I, I, I hope this, uh, you know, I also put down below the um, 